Welcome back to Impact Izone. Luke Sloan here with you. Not Trent Bally this week, but still joined alongside Brendan Shabath and special guest to the podcast, Mr. Eric Bach, Sports Broadcast Director at Impact 89FM. Eric, thanks for uh, pinch hitting tonight and welcome. Thanks, guys. I can't believe I've made it all this time at Impact and have never been on Impact Izone. Like, the, even. The, the OG, other than Green and White Report, the OG Impact podcast, I have never made an appearance on. So this is a first for me. Did you even in the the Julian Mitchell era? You never you never hopped on there. Never. I wasn't big time enough back then. It's no, just really taken this long. I've really established myself as one of the heavy hitters now. So I have to. I the heavy hitters only can come onto the heavy hitting podcast. You know, Eric, to make that up for you, we will make sure that you go first for the picks tonight. Wow. But we'll, we'll, there'll be more on that later. Eric will go first for the picks, but it might not be the pick that you expect. Um, Brendan, I was going to ask you this before the podcast, but I guess we can just roll it live. Is there a special guest initiation that we want to establish as a podcast to uh, have Eric undertake? I don't know. I think um... – we could do like a, a college basketball trivia question or like a, uh, you know, we do like at our regular impact meetings to get to know you. We have, let's, we have, you know, your favorite sport. You know, we ask what's your favorite sport. We could ask Eric, what position do you think you would, this is a question I pose to my roommates a lot just to spark debate. If you were to step on the college basketball floor for right now for Michigan State, what position do you think you would succeed the most at? This very you that you are right now, what position are you doing the best at? Shooting guard. Yeah. Because I can shoot. <laughs> I played a little – I was down in Florida last week, played a little horse, and, uh, man, I was good. I hadn't shot a basketball in 10 months. Oh, got it. Man, I was on fire. I was I was doing all these trick shots behind the back. I have this this little uh, little spot on the in the left between the left wing and the left corner of the court. Man, you you don't hand down, man down there, man. That's a good spot. So I guess are you are you Tyler Hero or are you JJ Redick? That's that that's uh two. That's one. That's one B. That's one B. I am definitely not Tyler Hero because I don't have the kind of fashion sense or swag that that guy right. does so i'm gonna i guess i gotta go reddick a lot of people hate me too so that's good i got two more before we dive into some more important basketball but do you have john rothstein's twitter notifications on and have you watched at least five mid-major college basketball games this season uh spoiler the answers to these questions are highly important uh, i'm I'm going to disappoint you in both then because I follow Rothstein on Twitter, but I have him muted for 11 months of the year. I only unmute him in March. And no, I have watched probably like one half combined of a mid-major basketball game. So maybe you just might want to boot me off the show right now. Cause I just, I just really disappointed the both of you. I can see it in your eyes. I don't, I don't think you're getting the boot yet because even me being the, national college basketball uh, fan than I am. I don't think I've even watched five mid-major games. Yeah, geez, that's a pretty high threshold there. Brendan, I was – You know, Brendan, I was teeing that one up for you. I thought you were going to say you'd watch like 13. Well, I'm saying, I mean, mid-major, do you count the 
games against Oakland and Detroit Mercy that Michigan State had earlier this year? Or are you talking Horizon League versus Horizon League? Mac, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to count those games just because at least it gives us a look at what their teams look like, like Greg Campy or Mike Davis. Um, and then I have one more question for both oh of you before we dive into the real basketball. It's syllabus week, reflection week, whatever that really is supposed to mean. But I was assigned homework this week. Did what? anyone else get assigned homework this week? Not that I know of. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, though. I'm pretty sure I- – it was no online instruction until the 19th. I, I might have to make an appeal here. I'm not going to list the class. I'm not going to list the professor. All is fair in love and war. But, Eric, do you have homework mm. this week? Well, Sloan, I haven't had homework in two and a half years. Oh, so, doesn't count. No, I, no, I, uh, I've certainly – I set myself up in high school and in the early part of my college career to really just be able to focus on work this last about year and a half. I only have one class this semester. I have three, three credits remaining before graduation and it's, uh, it's asynchronous. I know all the higher ed people out there love that word, but um, so no, I, I don't have any homework. And even if I did, I don't know about it. We'll dive into the rest of our document now. It's 8.27 p.m. Eastern time as we record this on a Thursday night. We sleep in May, according to John Rothstein. That's what we believe in. None of us have his merch on right now, but that's what we're going to believe in. I'd say about 10 minutes before we started recording this evening, guys, some late-breaking news. Uh, We learned earlier today on Wednesday. It's actually Wednesday. I don't know what I'm saying. Wednesday at 8.29 p.m. now and not Thursday. But we learned that Maudie Sissoko – and Stephen Izzo both tested positive for COVID-19. I believe four days ago was when their 17-day quarantine started. Um, obviously, wishing Maudie and Stephen Izzo all the best in their recovery from COVID-19. And an additional COVID-19 positive case was found in the program this evening. And because of that, tomorrow, listening Thursday's game against Iowa has been canceled, number five, Iowa. Reading Tom Izzo's uh, press release, you know, he says he's really disappointed, but it comes down to the fact that COVID-19 can really affect anybody. You know, he praised his team and their efforts this season for the way his team has conducted themselves, but he really said that, you know, this virus can affect everyone. So very disappointing that we will not be able to enjoy Michigan State basketball versus number five Iowa on Thursday evening, but just some instant reaction from you both. Um, you know, we joked around that it'd be interesting if we reacted to, the, reacted to that live if we started recording earlier. But how are you guys feeling after that news this evening? We're not feeling anything, apparently. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I was just letting – I was as the guest, I was just letting you go, Brennan. You no, know, that's – I feel like as the host, I uh, the guest. Okay. So, so we just, we're just yeah. too kind here. Yes. I'll go first. I'm not surprised. Um, Tom Izzo was asked about that at his presser earlier today about like the possibility of, um, you know, canceling tonight's games. Michigan state was supposed to be traveling tonight and obviously they tested must the press release said that the, the third positive was Wednesday afternoon Izzo spoke to the media at one this afternoon. And so, um, I'm not surprised. I, I'm, you know, the way that how contagious this virus is, um, Sissoko and Steven Izzo were roommates, so that's not surprising that both of them tested positive. And 
hopefully for Michigan State, the third positive is not like Aaron Henry or Joey Hauser or somebody like that. Um, because if that's the case, Michigan State's in real trouble. Um, I mean, they're already in real trouble, but in even bigger trouble now. Um, I just hope that the Indiana game can be played on Sunday and that, you know, the Spartans don't have any more positives. Yeah, I think when I originally found the news about Marty Sissoko and Steven Izzo, I said to myself, great, the whole team has a chance of getting infected now. They're probably going to have to postpone or cancel some games. And sure enough, that's what happened. And it's funny because just the other week, I was praising Michigan State's athletic program overall for how they've handled COVID-19. Michigan State football did a great job this season handling COVID-19. Obviously, they had some days postponed and moved and had to change some things around. But their program uh, by itself really did a great job handling the virus and not getting uh, positive tests. And Michigan State basketball had done a great job up to this point, too. And you look at teams like Virginia, who's getting COVID, and Villanova, who can't stop getting positive tests. You know, you really credit people like Tom Izzo, who run a tight ship and have, have kept up so far. But, you know, it's upsetting. Um, it, it, it puts a downer on an evening that was pretty exciting. I think, you know, going into the game, there weren't a lot of high hopes. But when that happens, you know, that can lead to an astounding and surprising win. And now we just don't even have the opportunity to have college basketball. You know, we always say 2020, 2021, it's a crazy time. At least we're here and at least we're watching college basketball. But we don't get to do that uh, on Thursday night, but they'll be back soon enough. Like Eric mentioned, this is still a developing situation for Michigan State. Additional testing will be done. Contract tra- contact tracing will be done as well. That Indiana game looms on Sunday. We will see if Michigan State has the required eight players to take on the Hoosiers. You know, through contact tracing, you know, that could complicate things and muddy the waters, especially because Sunday is coming so fast. But you can stay tuned to WDBM Sports on Twitter, impact89fm.org slash sports as we continue to report on this developing story. But I think overall, definitely just wishing the best for everybody involved in the Michigan State program that they will get well soon and that they won't have any complications with COVID-19. But Michigan State did hit the hardwood not that long ago. Since our last episode, the Spartans fell to Purdue at home, 55-54 in an absolute heartbreaker. The loss dropped Michigan State to 2-4 and four in Big Ten play and right out of the AP Top 25 ranking. So we can just dive right into this one so we can actually start talk, talking some X's and O's. But like we said, a 55-54 loss at the Breslin Center. We can revisit our score predictions from that game. Myself, I had Michigan State winning 66-52. Brendan, you had Michigan State winning 75-69. And Trent had Michigan State winning as well, 72-61. Eric, because you are the guest on this podcast and you did not make a prediction on the podcast, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you off the leash and give you free reign to roast any of our final score predictions, maybe mine, because I had them winning by quite a few points. Well, so I called the game with with our long-lost friend Trent Bally, and um Pretty sure I made a prediction on the uh, on the pregame show of something of the nature of like sixty eight, sixty five, or some something like that. So I also was wrong. So you know, it, our really loyal Impact fans would go back and listen. Then they'll 
they would know that I was not correct either. So I don't know. I don't know if I, I can't throw stones when I live in a glass house Sloan because I, uh, I wasn't, I was wrong too, but the fact, I mean, Purdue scored 16 points in the first half and Trayvon Williams outscored Michigan state in the second half by himself. So, I mean, it was just a wacky, bizarre game. It was one of the weirdest games that I've ever been a part of. You mentioned, you mentioned some of those stats, Eric. On the Michigan State side of things, Aaron Henry, 13 points to lead the Spartans. Joshua Langford was the next closest player at 10 points. And then you mentioned the performance for Travion Williams of Purdue. Uh, Brendan played, we, we detailed in the last podcast that Brendan used to hoop with Travion Williams back in the day when both of them lived in the Detroit area on a Who hasn't basis. Brendan like hooped with? My no, God. Hey, I've been around the world a couple times, you know. This is some every time every time I talk to you, you're always telling some story about yeah, I was there with uh Dwayne Wade last week and then <laughs> before that I was with <laughs> Stephen Curry. Like, come on, man. Ho- I think hopefully this- I get hopefully I get to speak about stories of guys of that stature later in life but right now it's just mid mid-level division one college basketball players hey i think i'll just say this because i don't know all of the players but are there enough players to where we could make it an entire segment in the future totally well let's see i've sat on the bench as my team played rashad williams from oakland Um, who is a bucket as michigan state knows I played against Beardis White from Western, who was their team high scorer in their loss to Michigan State. I'm sensing uh, a theme here between White, Williams, and and Williams. Yeah, uh, these people chop up Michigan State. You don't you don't want to hear it. You, Izzo better not hear this information, or he's oh. going to isolate you from the team. Travion Williams was the other one from Purdue, and then the soon to be Purdue Boilermaker Fletcher Lawyer. I actually played against on the very Breslin center court that this Michigan state team plays every game, every home game, at least uh, two years ago during uh, team summer camp, we played Clarkson and that was, I believe Fletcher was a freshman back then. So do you, do you want to know something really wacky, Brendan? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I refed that game. I didn't, we, I think we had this discussion Last year, because the second I saw your face, I don't remember the first time I saw it. It was yeah. probably working for Matt for BTN Student U. Right. But the second I saw your face, I said, oh, my God, where do I know this guy from? Right. The funny I do have thing, kind of an everyman face. That's true. That's true. But it, <laughs> it was a little more distinct than that. And I, the funny thing was, you probably know or at least know of the head coach at U of D Jesuit, uh, Pat Donnelly. Yeah, and he he has given some rep, some refs, some some lip over the over the years, and I just the one line that will always stand out to me was, I think the guys that were refing the uh, games for the for the team camps. I mean, they were like a hundred. It, it was a, it was also a ref camp. Yes, it was too. like a tryout. They were yeah to yeah get jobs, and I just remember there was one bad call, and Pat somehow he knew the guy's name, and it was. John or something, and he goes, yeah. I tell you what, John, calls like that are not going to get you a job here in the Big Ten. <laughs> like, whoa. And, I, and I, I saw you, and I was praying he didn't say that to you once I made the conclusion that you probably refed one of our games. Well, it was like the first game of the tournament, right? Yeah. Like, because that was like my first game. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, 
uh, you're on the Breslin Center floor and it's Clarkston and U of D. I was like, oh, all right. Well, throw me into the fire then. Yeah, two, two, two high school powerhouses. Yeah. In a summer scrimmage that they want to just play basketball. At 8 a.m. on a random yeah. Thursday at the Breslin Center in June. Yeah. Like, yeah, those were wild those circumstances. Were that game was hard to get up for. I think we were pretty bad that game. Well, the aforementioned Travion Williams – who Brendan played with at, I believe he said, a lifetime fitness. He LA. had 20 – L.A. fitness. I, I was close. 26 points in that game for Travion Williams, the junior big man. 24 of those points came in the second half. He hit clutch baskets down the stretch, made free throws down the stretch. Considering he was only about a 50% free throw shooter, I think that surprised a lot of people. Eric Hunter Jr., a wing for Purdue. He was the next closest scorer for the Boilermakers with seven points. We can dive right into this one, guys. I'll start with you, Brendan. Really a lot to unpack from this game. You were in the Impact 89 FM studios as the broadcast anchor for this one. You know, Trent, Eric, and I would look back and forth at the Breslin Center and just kind of compare facial expressions to how we were feeling about that game after the final buzzer sound. But when that final buzzer sound, what were the first few things that were coming across your mind? Well, the first thing that came across my mind is – why is the state, this beautiful mitten, why is it cursed in sports? I, Because I, Eric said it, Michigan State found a way to lose that game. He said it on the call. And I just thought of the Detroit Lions, the team that is the best all time at finding a way to lose. And I just, there's just so much that went wrong in that game. And I think it, it's a bad game to dwell on because I think there are a lot of anomalies. Purdue had a really long field goal drought in the first half, and then Michigan State went on probably their longest ever, almost a 12-minute field goal drought in the second half. Um, I think if you would have told Tom Izzo before the game, hey, you're going to hold Purdue to 55 points, what do you think is going to happen? He would have said, oh, we're going to win by 20 or something. But it's you're not going to have a fun time in the Big Ten if you – hold teams to less than 60 points on your own floor and still lose the game. You can't, you can't get outscored by the team's best score in the second half. Um, somebody has to step up in a situation like that. Aaron Henry played great against Nebraska and Rutgers. He took over the games when they needed it, and he, he was their Michigan State's leading scorer, but he was nowhere to be found when they needed it most. Joey Hauser's got to step up and take a two-point shot. I think he was two for five from the field and two for five from the three-point line, you can't have your starting center not shoot a single two-pointer in the game. It's just not going to work. It's not a recipe for success. Eric, we'll toss it over to you. I know the back and forth that you and I had after the game was an all-time classic for when we look back at our 10 years covering sports at MSU. But, you know, it was one of the worst come-from-behind losses that Tom Izzo has suffered in his career as a Spartan head coach and considering he's been here for over two decades I think that's pretty significant totally I'll never ever forget because I was the way that we were situated on our platform was Trent was on my right at the same table and Sloan was on my left a table over the game ended I finished shouting about Purdue and then I looked to my right and Trent was given the thousand yard stare straight ahead. I looked to my left. Sloan was given the thousand yard stare straight ahead. So it was just, there was no other reaction to have. Like it was, I still am having a hard time grasping that Michigan state found a way to lose that game. Like they were just so in control in the first half. And 
you know, Purdue came out of the gates in the second half and just like, it was like, it was a completely different team. And Matt Painter, I mean, Matt Painter is and has been one of the best coaches in this conference for a really long time, but it's, but Tom Izzo is the best coach in this conference and has been for a long time. And he just, in the second half, Purdue just found a new life. You know, they just, they wanted it more than Michigan state at the end and Michigan state, you know, you can say that despite all of the problems that they had in the second half, Brendan mentioned the scoring drought. If rocket Watts doesn't turn the ball over with six and a half seconds to go and just holds onto it and gets fouled, we're probably having a really different conversation right now, despite, despite all of the trouble in the second half for Michigan state. I'm going to put my journalist hat on at halftime when Michigan state had a 15 point lead. I was snickering to the rest of the boys that, wow, I can get this gamer re I can get this gamer done with 10 minutes to go in the second half. So that came back to bite me in a pretty big way. That's number one. Number two, I called this game a rock fight before it happened. And Brendan, I apologize to you because you tweeted at me after that game and I completely forgot to reply. I saw the tweet and then just never replied. So, so I, I apologize, it, but it, it was a rock fight. I picked a bad time to tweet at you because your gamer probably had to change really quick with what happened in the final minutes. But, yeah, for those that didn't see the tweet, I, I agreed with you on the pod when I said – or when you said it would be a rock fight. I said I didn't think it would be as low as you thought. And then in the tweet I said, my God, I agreed with him, but I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I mean, 55 to 54. You know, I'm going to toss an assist to this next bullet point that we're going to get to, to sports editorial assistant Nathan Stearns, who was slated to call the Iowa game tomorrow with other friend of the podcast, Ian Gilmore. So feeling bad for those two who can't call that game. But I had Chipotle this afternoon with one Nathan Stearns for lunch, and we came up with this short little list of some coaching decisions by Tom Izzo that we're going to call the Tom Izzo Coaching Decisions Review. And we put together these three that really stuck out in our heads in the second half specifically, going small down the stretch. And he wanted to guard the three-point line, I guess more than guard Travion Williams down the stretch. That was number one. Marcus Bingham Jr. and Gabe Brown. Bingham had three blocks, one that closed the first half. And Gabe Brown has been a key cog of this MSU rotation, shooting like 45 50% from three. And then not calling a timeout in the final seconds of the game when Aaron Henry had an out-of-control layup attempt, I'm going to give you guys the following option. You have to pick one of these three coaching decisions of the coaching decisions review as the most fatal. Eric, I'll kick it to you first, but which one of these three stands out the most for you? And you can talk about all three of them as well. Okay. Um, to me, the most fatal is going small on Travion, Travion Williams. Um, Purdue shot what three for 24 from three. I mean, they Stefan, were, yeah, they were 15%. Stefanovic, Stefanovic was a non-factor. I mean, he, he is one of the best shooters in the big 10, but on that night he was a, it just wasn't his night. He was a non-factor. And um, if you, I, if I'm Tom Izzo and I'm going to lose that game, I'd rather get beat by a guy that hasn't even sniffed the rim the entire game, as opposed to, Travion Williams, who did a whole lot more than sniff the rim in the second half. I mean, 20-some points just in one half outscored Michigan State, as I mentioned earlier. But 
Um, I'm totally, people got so mad that Izzo didn't call a timeout. First of all, men's college basketball needs to implement the ball advancement rule like they do in women's. So I yes. just called, I just called on Sunday after this game was on Friday, I called the MSU women's game on Sunday uh, for BTN in which the Spartans lost to Nebraska. I think we're, we're finding a common theme here in the losses and it's me. Um, you know, Nebraska and Michigan State, both when when the other would make a bucket at, in the last like two minutes of the game, they'd call their timeouts. They didn't call like any timeouts the whole game. They had all their timeouts left. Call timeouts. Ball gets advanced into the front court, just like it does in the NBA. There's no good reason why men's college basketball hasn't done that yet. However, that being said, because of the nature of the rule of how it is right now with no ball advancement. I don't think Michigan State's going to get much a much better look than they did at the end of the game with Aaron Henry. So I'm totally fine with Izzo keeping the timeout in his pocket because Aaron Henry with a full head of steam on his dominant side of the basket is as good of a shot as Michigan State's going to get. So no, no issue there for me. Um, and what was the third thing, Mark? Oh, Gabe Brown. He, he was asked about that today in the presser and just said that it was nothing that Gabe did. It was just the fact that he thought Josh Langford and Aaron Henry were both playing really well, and he didn't want to mess up either of their rhythm uh, by putting Gabe Brown in. Now, I, I see Brendan actually physically scratching his head there. Yeah. I, that's what I was doing when he said that, because uh, Michigan State went 12 minutes in the second half without making a field goal. So if that's what Tom Izzo defines as in rhythm – then I would I shudder to think about what out of rhythm looks like. So, you know, Travion going small on Travion Williams is the biggest sin of that list, but not using Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham after Bingham's defensive spark at the end of the first half is one A for me. Yeah, and you know, I think I think it's always a good point to bring up that had. Um, uh, Rocket Watts caught the ball on the inbound with nine seconds left. We wouldn't even be having this discussion. We wouldn't go back and review the decisions of Izzo in a close win. But we're journalists. We're analysts. We're not getting paid right now. But this is what we get paid to do is to go back and over-exaggerate and analyze these things. So here we are. I think, yeah, my reaction to the Gabe Brown decision was just because Gabe Brown, we've talked about, in my opinion, I think he's got one of the purest and best shooting strokes on the team. I think he's the best player on the team at coming off the bench and within a minute knocking down a bucket, especially a three-pointer. And when you're going 12 minutes without a field goal, you need someone like that. And sometimes guys just can't get to the basket. Gabe Brown might be the most athletic player on this team. You know, he's one of the longest forwards that they have, one of the longest you know, forward guards. He can get to the basket if he needs to and throw in a layup. And sometimes the team just needs to see the ball go in the basket. Um, as far as not calling a timeout, I think to people that don't, uh, that are casual basketball fans, pedestrian fans, I understand the frustration there. But Eric, like you said, without advancing the ball, you're not going to get a much better shot. And I don't know any coach in Division One who is going to elect to let Purdue talk with their defense. Yeah. Over set their defense. And run a set defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I would take that shot from Aaron Henry nine times out of 10. I think he made a bad decision 
and trying to avoid contact and get a clean look instead of going and drawing a foul. Um, but, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and that's what it is. But I think – I do think – I agree with you, Eric, that the fatal decision is to go small on Travion Williams. You mentioned Purdue's three-point shooting uh, percentages. They weren't even, like, looking for the three either. If they were open, you know, they were going to shoot it. But it wasn't a part of their offensive game plan in the end. In the end, it was get it to Travion and get the hell out of the way. And that was what happened on the last play. Um, I think Izzo was a little bit unlucky in that Thomas Kithier fouls out with 10 minutes left in the second half. Kithier was one of the primary defenders they threw at Williams and the barrage of different forwards that they used. Um, but, yeah, Malik Hall – one of your shorter bigs um, who is, uh, you know, often referred to as part of the small lineup that Izzo uses guarding Travion Williams with, you know, five seconds left um, on what would be uh, the second to last play of the game is not how you want to start. And then if, if you're Michigan state too, before that, you guys have to communicate what you're doing better. It was just a cluster down there. Nobody knew where to switch and who to switch to. And it, Williams got a clean catch and a clean shot, and you can't ask for much more than that, you know, five feet from the basket. I think I'm going to make this a perfect three for three and say that going small down the stretch was the, the fatal error that cost Michigan State in this game. I mean, you know, we say this a lot on this podcast. You know, if we were in Tom Izzo's shoes or if we were a college basketball coach, and we always say we're not a college basketball coach, but if I was one in this game wearing green and white, I would think, Let's double Travion Williams. Let's run everyone at him. To quote Stan Van Gundy, let's build an effing wall and make sure he doesn't beat us. I mean, if, if Purdue beat Michigan State with made three-pointers down the stretch from guys who weren't making them the whole game, I think that was something that Spartan fans and coaches and players and everyone could probably live with. And that's, so I think that's – yeah, go ahead, Brendan. And that's earned by Purdue after going three for 24. If they shoot that badly and then knock down two or three threes in the final minute, good for them. You know, they deserve that. You know, I have another submission, too. This is kind of a bonus, you know, a little asterisk next to the not calling a timeout in the final seconds. You know, you mentioned, Brendan, the inbounds play with Malik Hall and Rocket Watts. Tom Izzo had two timeouts prior to that play. I know up on press row, I was thinking, you better call a timeout. It's going to be a five count. It's going to be a turnover. It was a turnover. Was it more important that he called a timeout there than in the final yes. seconds? I think you're both going to agree. Yes. Malik should have called it. Yeah. The only thing that I didn't – I mean, I didn't take issue with Malik not calling a timeout because – in that very moment, yes, Malik should have a five count in his head. And yes, he probably knew he was getting close to it. But Rocket Watts was open, too. The defender made a great play. There was a little bit of contact. You know, I think it was a good no call. But Rocket Watts was open. And I've been in that situation before. And when you're Malik Hall, the main thing on your mind that late in the count is get rid of this goddamn ball. And that's all you're trying to do. And it was unlucky for Michigan State the way it turned out. But that, I think, falls on the shoulders of Izzo more than it does Hall to call the timeout there. This next bullet point on the sheet, I, you know, this is one of the first things that I thought of. And, you know, I talked about this with Trent when you guys were packing up the equipment. You know, I know that Thomas Kithier fouling out with about half of the second half to go was a big part of this non-success but absolutely no success guarding Travion Williams in the post down the stretch. 
And a lot of the players guarding him are going to be relied on to guard post players the rest of the way in conference play. So, you know, Brendan, I'll start with you. How much does this worry us for conference play and beyond that Michigan State doesn't have that Xavier Tillman mold player that's just going to be able to go guard the opposing team's dominant post player all game long? You know, they ran a lot of guys at Williams successfully in the first half. You know, Kithier obviously fouled out. They had some success in the first half. But, you know, what are the Spartans going to strategize? And are we worried that there's not a Xavier Tillman now? I think at this point, um, I think, you know, this whole season, everything that I've watched from this team, the one thing they have lacked is to instill confidence in me moving forward. Even in their good games against Duke, they lost a lead. You know, they, they had a couple turnovers. Some people didn't play well. They really didn't play that well against teams like Oakland and Detroit Mercy. They let guys put up a lot of points on them. They haven't had a performance that was like, okay, that was really good. I think they're going to win this next game and, and, and do better moving forward. They, even against Rutgers, they still had like 18 turnovers, you know. But I brought up for that Purdue game the Los Angeles Lakers strategy for Nikola Jokic in the NBA bubble of using multiple bigs to throw at one guy um, to defend him. and. You're right. It worked in the first half, but the rest of that game really did not go well for Michigan State uh, down low in the post. And I don't think it's a strategy viable moving forward against guys like Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson, and Luca Garza. Oops, I'm speaking on mute. That's really good. Um, Speaking of Luca Garza, one thing I wanted to just quickly circle back to is Izzo used the same phrase in his press conference today, which I thought was bizarre. Um, three, twos are something like threes kill you, twos beat you, or threes kill you. That was his, like, message about how they were going to try to defend Iowa. Like, basically conceding the fact that he would rather let Luca Garza put up 35 and make all twos than have Bohannon and McCaffrey and Wieskamp and all those shooters for Iowa just shoot the lights out on Michigan State. Like, so I feel like that he t- kept – that. that's like almost him just being too stubborn because that's what they basically yeah. – with Williams. That's, like, that's pretty backwards. He I used mean, that exact same phrasing before the Purdue game because somebody asked him the same thing about Travion Williams. How do you defend him? And he was like, well, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at him, but – we're going to – we'd rather give up twos than threes, which they gave up plenty of twos in the second half to Travion Williams and one two in particular with four and a half seconds to go that lost you the game when Purdue could not throw it in the ocean outside from the outside. So, I – you know, we talked earlier about the game getting postponed, tomorrow's game getting postponed. Maybe that was a blessing in disguise so Izzo could, like, rethink that strategy because – I mean, I have more confidence in Iowa's outside shooting ability as a collective group than I do with Purdue. Like, you know, you take away Bohannon, they still got other guys that can shoot it. But I just think that, you know, Michigan State needs to focus all of their defensive energy on Luka Garza. I mean, yeah, that that just seems seems like that should go without saying. But yet here we are. You know, twos beat you, threes kill you. Well, prior to Rutgers and Purdue, who both had 
almost, you know, unusual low scoring games and the credit Michigan state's defense as well. But I think having the 80th best defense in the country is not going to help you either, whether you're giving up twos or threes, but it's, yeah, I, I'd much rather take my chances on low percentage shots from behind the arc. Yes. These guys shoot the ball well, but we've seen guys like Stefanovic, the best three point shooter in the big 10, what was it, one for six against Michigan State? Yeah, and they weren't even close. And you gave up a bunch of twos to Trayvon Williams, and then that's the result. I'd rather take your chances and stop Luca Garza from going off for 35 points and make Wieskamp and Bohannon and McCaffrey knock down these threes. Make them make those tough shots. Now, let's not forget, though, the the fact the reason that Michigan State lost to Purdue was not because of their defense. Like, we we, – here we are. score. Here we are score. ranting and raving about Michigan State's, you know, poor decisions defensively, but 55 points is 55 points. I mean, sure. it was a strong defensive performance, and Michigan State has put together three, well, two, but kind of two and a half good defensive performances in a row. The problem is the offense now. So we, we, we can't – I don't think we should get distracted from what the real issue at hand is here. Well, Luke – Shows the great word. I think that was the epitome of a rock fight. Yeah, that's yeah. as rocky as it can get in college basketball. I think the last little bit we'll talk about this defense before talking about the guys that need to step up and score a little bit more for this team. This isn't the Michigan State team that can afford to get away with being stubborn. They don't have a Xavier Tillman down there in the post who can just absorb contact all game long. You know, Thomas Kithier. He's a guy who's been playing hard this season, playing well this season, and playing better this season. But at times, he is a 6'8 guy who is going to get beat by a 6'11 guy or a 7'2 guy in Hunter Dickinson. He can play his ass off and still be, you know, get beaten. And that's not Thomas Kithier's fault. That's more of a coaching error that they're not bringing double teams over. They're not, you know, helping on him. This is not the Michigan State team to be stubborn. But we'll talk a little bit more about that offense Nine points for Joey Hauser in this game, 27 against Wisconsin, you know, what feels like an eternity ago. And Aaron Henry as well, only four points in the second half for Henry. You know, how bad does this team need guys like Aaron Henry and guys like Joey Hauser to be consistent? You know, Henry had 27 in that big win against Nebraska that snapped that that three-game losing streak in conference. Brendan, we'll, we'll start this with you, but you know, what, what does Michigan State need to do to get these guys going? You know, we, we talked about it preseason, Luke, and the number that always stood out to me was 32 points per game. That was how much production Michigan State was losing with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, and 18 of that came from Winston himself. But more importantly, they lost a leader and a calming force on the floor in Cassius Winston, and they are in dire need of it right now. With Winston on the floor, not only was he a floor general and the quarterback of that offense, but it felt like he could do no wrong. You just didn't think he was going to make a bad decision. You always thought he was going to make the right pass, run the pick and roll properly, take the right shot. And now, and and when they got down, it was like, okay, look at everybody, look at Winston. He's going to figure it out. Now it's, okay, do we go to Henry? Do we go to Watts? What about we try Joey? Josh Lankford hasn't hit a shot in a while. Let's get him involved. And there's just, they need one guy that can take over games when they need it the most. Should Michigan State, Brendan, following up on that, 
should they lean on a, a Joshua Langford more than they have to be that kind of decision maker down the stretch? Or should Aaron Henry just take over like we saw against Nebraska and saw against Rutgers? He had 20 points in that game. I think I know which way you're going to go, but there's been a lot made about Langford too this season. I have to be honest. I've been in – now, Josh Langford is a great story, and it's miraculous that he's playing for this team. But I – and I've been impressed by his shooting ability and how athletic he looks out there and how well he moves, but I haven't been impressed by his decision-making so far. He hasn't looked like the five-year, six-year man that he is, and that's because technically he's not. He hasn't – he's been at Michigan State this long, but he hasn't been on the basketball floor that long. You know, he hasn't played in two seasons. So – you know, I think you still have to lean on someone like Aaron Henry, who was there for a Final Four run, who was there for a Big Ten regular season championship last year on a great team, one of the best teams in college basketball, in my opinion, before COVID-19 shut everything down. And Aaron Henry, in my opinion, is your best score. I think you've got to lean on a guy like him. Now, he also hasn't made the best decision so far this year, but Henry strikes me as someone who's going to be better equipped to fix that moving forward than a guy like a Josh Langford or a Rocket Watts or something like that. We're giving Joey Hauser a pass here, in my opinion, when we shouldn't be. Like, Joey Hauser in the early part of the season was like the focal point of the Spartan offense. Like, so much of what Michigan State did in the half court went through Joey Hauser. And he, you said it earlier, Brendan, he didn't attempt a two point shot against Purdue. Like, Get to the free throw line. Like you're six foot nine and you can you have in the gym range, which I'm not saying he shouldn't shoot threes, because he should most definitely shoot threes. But his he has more of a diverse offensive game that Michigan State needs him to use. And like you mentioned earlier how Michigan State in that twelve minute scoring streak, they just don't have a guy that can just get you a bucket like Cassius Winston or Xavier Tillman could. Like Langford was not going to be able to get you a bucket. Aaron Henry was all out of sorts. Rocket Watts has been out of sorts for weeks. And that leaves Joey Hauser. I mean, he needs to find a way with his skill set, especially when Michigan State is in those offensive walls that they tend to go in these past few games. Michigan State needs to find somebody to shoot them, to shoot them out of it and you mentioned Gabe Brown as a candidate for that as somebody who could do that but he wasn't even on the floor he wasn't even given the chance to shoot him out of it and Joey Hauser didn't I mean he was on the floor so is, is it just me or does it almost feel like like Hauser struggled to shoot threes at the start of the year and that was for about two and a half games and then he kind of knocked down a couple more but does it almost feel like to you guys, as it does to me, where he's not shooting at the clip that he wants? So instead of just getting back to what works and, like you said, getting to the free throw line, getting 10-foot jumpers and stuff like that, he's almost trying to re-add this three-point shot to his offensive skill set and become more of a threat. I don't know. It just feels like he's kind of trying to shoot him out of a, shoot himself out of a slump that he's not really in he does really well from the mid-range and to not shoot a signal two-pointer and to take as many threes as he's taken and not shoot him that well it just it feels really off like he's forcing something you know I'll enter a fourth 
player into the conversation too. And I'll be interested to hear if you guys agree with this too, but Rocket Watts, you know, when we made our preseason predictions, Brendan, I had Watts as a 15 to 18 point per game score, and he's been more of a seven to 10 points per game score. You know, I think that there's a role on this team for him being that Vinny Johnson, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, six man who can come off the bench and get you buckets, but he's kind of been stuck in his own way. And I think if this team, you know, wants to pick the pieces up and still make a run at the Big Ten, and it's going to need to be a significant run, I think Rocket Watts is going to have to be that Vinny Johnson of this team and get buckets for them off the bench. I think 12 to 15 points per game, is, is that's what they're going to need from him. It's, you know, we talked about it on the Impact His Own post-game show, or I believe it was the halftime, it was the halftime show. And we talked about how I toot my own horn on the podcast plenty enough. Well, let me do the opposite here. Last season, the guys in our group chat, a bunch of fans were dogging on Rocket because he wasn't the player as advertised. And I had seen what he'd done in high school, and I followed him because he was from Detroit, and my friends knew him and stuff, and my friends were his friends. And, um, you know, he came back in the last, like, five or six games of the season, and I think he put up uh, double digits in five out of the last seven and 20 points in, like, two or three of them. And this year I said preseason, and I was very confident in my numbers, I said he was going to average 18 points, four assists, and three rebounds, and he was going to be the leading scorer on this team. And I thought Aaron Henry would be a close second with, like, 12 or 13. And – my goodness has Rocket Watts proven me very wrong. And I think he still can. He he has the innate ability. It's not due to a lack of skill that he's not scoring at the clip he should be. It's mental right now. And I think the jumbled start of the season with him at the one and they were winning, but they weren't succeeding and stuff. And the offense was still stagnant. You know, now to we're in big 10 play, you really, should have your offense set by the time we get here and Michigan State's trying new stuff and Hogard's in there and stuff. You know, I think he just hasn't sat down and gotten in a rhythm yet. And I think he can improve. And I don't want to say I expect him to, but I'll say I won't be surprised if he does in the later half of the Big Ten season. Well, Tom Izzo continues to take the blame on Roger Watts and throwing him in at the one without really any practice time or exhibition time and saying that he tried to force something that wasn't, you know, wasn't in the cards. And so, I mean, it's a self-admitted problem for Izzo and he's, he's dead on. I mean, Watts, the start that he had ever since the Duke game, he's just hasn't looked like himself. And I think that we might need to start accepting the reality that he's not, who we thought he was going to be when he came to Michigan state. I mean, I think that's a hard reality to to swallow, but I think that it's certainly one that is within the realm of possibility. You know, before we move out of this Purdue game and into some more big picture stuff, does anybody have any final thoughts, any final trends, anything that we might've missed in the previous points? I really like AJ Hogarth still. I think that's, that's a nice bright spot on this team. He passes the ball well. He doesn't turn it over a whole lot. He played decent against Purdue. Uh, we've, we've been dogging on this team a lot tonight, and it's kind of deservedly so after that uh, performance against Purdue. But A.J. Hogart is, is one of the bright spots on this roster, I think. We'll move into some more big-picture stuff, and you know we can afford to, to hop in these topics a little bit more than we 
probably were about an hour ago because we had an Iowa game to preview, but we have no longer an Iowa game to preview. So I think this is really after this game with Michigan State outside the AP Top 25 for just one of the first times in the last three years, really, two and four in the conference, in a great Big Ten conference. It's expectations versus reality time. And I think to do that, you know, we need to check in on what we expected Michigan State to be this season. And I'll start. I mean, I expected Michigan State to win something in the neighborhood of 22 games. I expected them to go out there and win a share of the Big Ten for a, what, third straight season, fourth straight season. Fourth. And I ex- fourth straight season. And I expected them to be, you know, one of the juggernauts and, you know, probably, you know, in the conversation for a one or two seed when March Madness came along. I expected Rocket Watts to be a 15 to 18 point score per game. I expected Aaron Henry to get in the neighborhood of 15 points per game. Joey Hauser, I think I expected more of him. Joshua Langford, I think it's about par for him, 10 to 12 points per game, still playing pretty solid defense. But kind of stopping at this point and and reflecting on what we've seen so far, you know, Eric, what were your expectations moving, you know, toward the beginning of the year? And what reality has that settled into now? I had really high hopes for Michigan State, you know, and that was maybe after coming off covering a football team that was was what it was for Michigan State in a re, in the beginning stages of a rebuild. So maybe I got my hopes up a little bit too too much, but um, you know, I just think everything you said, Sloan. I had high hopes for Joey Hauser, and I still have high hopes for Joey Hauser. And those hopes were kind of cashed in a little bit at the beginning of the year when, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Hauser's was the focal point of Michigan state's offense. And he was, you know, scoring in diverse ways. He was getting to the basket. He was getting the free throw line. He was making threes after his rough shooting start. Um, But to me, and I said this earlier, Watts is the, the biggest disappointment in his lack of a, of a jump from year one to year two. Cause last year he was definitely the apprentice to Cassius Winston. And I think a lot of people expected him to, to really step into a more assertive offensive role. And that just hasn't happened. So, and maybe it still could. I mean, I think that when rocket got to East Lansing, people kind of expected him to be a one and done type. I mean, because of the nature of Michigan state's personnel last year with so much experience and with Winston and Tillman, and even, you know, Henry and all the guys that are back this year, they had already played, you know, basically two full seasons. So Watts just kind of took a, a back seat last year because of the experience that Michigan State had. But now when it is his time to really come into the limelight and take over this team, he hasn't really been up to the task. And maybe he will be, but maybe he's just a, a solid four-year player. But I think that that is, you know, below the expectations that people had for him when he arrived on campus. And Aaron Henry, Aaron Henry's had an up and down year, but he's up right now. I mean, Brendan mentioned earlier how he needed to just get Michigan State a bucket at the end of the Purdue game and and couldn't. But for the most part, he's been the least of Michigan State's concerns, both offensively and defensively. I think that he he has reached what I think was expected of him coming in for the most part. So. I don't know. I I expected more, but I'm not terribly surprised that it's worked out the, the way that it has. Yeah, I agree with you, Eric, about 
Aaron Henry, it feels selfish to say, you know, he should be better. I think in particular games, he could do a couple things better. But when you look at what's around him, as we just mentioned, Watts hasn't been up to par. Hauser hasn't been what we thought he was going to be since Big Ten play started. Gabe Brown's been streaky. Josh Langford is still kind of the jury's still out on that one. You know, so I think Aaron Henry, given, you know, all things considered, Foster Lawyer's been a non-factor since the first game of the season. You know, I think all things considered, Aaron Henry's led this team pretty well and and, uh, played his part. But for me, it's not like one particular player or factor that's, you know, been a disappointment. I, I expected this team to compete for a Big Ten title. I think that uh, the hopes for that are long gone now. Um, I didn't expect them to win a Big Ten title. I thought it would be in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin with Michigan State close behind. Now it's looking like Michigan State's going to be a little bit farther behind. I think the one aspect that has surprised me the most has been the defense. We raved about it preseason, uh, Sloan, you, Trent, and I. And the first through the first three games, it looked like a really good defense. They suffocated Notre Dame. They played really well against Duke. You know, they didn't do too bad against Western. Um, and since then, it's just been dismal from the defense. And they really just haven't played like a Michigan State basketball team on that end of the floor. And it's surprising, you know, to think that by now Izzo hasn't, you know, whipped them into shape. But, you know, I think that's that's really the main factor for me. And, the biggest disappointment from preseason to now. You know, Brendan, I think that it's really correct in saying that, you know, this doesn't fall on one player or one coach, you know, comparing the expectations to the reality. I do think that if there is one player that you can trend as, you know, as this guy was good when they played well and this guy doesn't succeed when they don't succeed, I think it probably would be Joey Hauser. He was hitting that 15-point-per-game mark that we've detailed a lot in this podcast earlier in the season, thinking about that Notre Dame game, thinking about Eastern Michigan, a couple of really good games, and he kind of carried them and was a steadying force. They, they ran plays for him. He attacked the basket, got to the free throw line a little bit more. And since the team has, has began to slip, you know, he's kind of quietly gone, you know, after that Wisconsin game when he put up 27 and Michigan State nearly knocked off a, you know, a potentially final four Wisconsin team, it's been a downhill slope for Hauser. So I think if there's one guy who we can point to as saying, you know, this guy might be the linchpin, it might be Hauser. Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. He was, because, he was averaging a double-double through the first, like, six games. Yeah. Still as close to averaging a double-double, but it's like 11 points and nine rebounds or something. And, frankly, with his skill set and his size, Michigan State just needs more. They just do. And they need somebody to be the assertive takeover down the stretch score. Joey Hauser has the ability to do it, and Michigan State needs him to be that guy. You know, I don't try to paint myself to be an alarmist, and I know that this is a Tom Izzo coach team, so nothing is impossible in terms of this team's future. Maybe they rebound in a big way. Maybe they continue to slide. But I do think it needs to be said that, you know, give – Tom, we still have to give Tom Izzo the benefit of the doubt. So thinking more optimistically, you know, who and what, you know, if you could pinpoint one or two things that Michigan State has to do better to turn this thing around, what is that one or two things? 
is it impossible for this team to turn things around? And and what are some new expectations as we kind of take the temperature of where we're feeling about this program? I'll toss it to you first, Brendan, but, you know, if we had to reshuffle the deck and kind of, you know, take a pause and think, you know, leaving the past behind, just evaluating the team from now moving forward, what is that one or two things and what are the expectations now? We've heard it in pressers and post game and everywhere, media availability, how much Michigan State personnel from this basketball program have said it themselves, defend, rebound, run is our mantra. And they really haven't done it that well this year. I think the defense, um, the first list on that mantra is, I think the first thing that they need to fix. They've done well in the past two games. Purdue's not exactly the most offensively potent uh, opponent in the Big Ten. Rutgers a little bit more, but they're starting to slip a little bit. Um, I think the defense should be priority number one for this team. If you can defend in the Big Ten, you might just be able to shoot your way into a couple wins that you probably shouldn't have. Um, and then next, I think it's got to be the turnovers. You know, we, we, we mentioned how the turnovers were changing from passive indecision to aggressive carelessness. And I think in the second half, especially of that Purdue game, a lot of those turnovers regressed back into passive indecision. And if you're turning the ball over like that because you don't know what to do and you're scared to, to make the wrong play, you know, Michigan State was playing in the second half not to lose instead of playing to win. And that's just never going to work. For me, it's simple. Tom Izzo said it today. Michigan State has got to get their break going. They have they have proven that they're not a very potent offensive team in the half court in these past few games, and they have to start running. Tom Izzo said it today. He's happy with their defense the past few games. He's really happy where they are defensively, but they've got to get it going in the break. And I think that we as, you know, people that follow and cover this Michigan state basketball team over the years have just kind of gotten lulled into this false sense of, well, not necessarily false sense of security, but sense of security with Cassius Winston running the break. I mean, that was what he did so masterfully for Michigan state. And now that they don't have an experienced point guard to run their break, AJ Hogard will get there, Brendan. I agree with you. I like him. I think that um, he definitely fits the role of like a facilitating point guard that can get you 10 a game. And, you know, he, he's just a freshman. He'll get so much better um, once he actually has like a full off season and a full preseason to actually like run point guard at Michigan state, because it's, it's such a different animal than I think we even realize um, because you hear the other players talk about how, uh, you know, Tom is on his point guards more and, and it really took Cassius quite a while in playing for Tom Izzo to really master the way that he wants point guard to be played. And so I think that they'll be fine with AJ Hogard. I really do. He's not there yet, but he's just so young and inexperienced, but he'll get there. He's got a high and Totally. And, but if Michigan state doesn't have to, you know, rely on, you know, Joey Hauser or Rocket Watts or Aaron Henry to, produce a shot in the half court and get, you know, a higher percentage of their points from their fast break, they're going to be better offensively. I think I'm going to con- kind of combine both of what you guys said 
And I don't want to be cliche or sound like some kind of company man or someone who works for the university, but defend, rebound, run is truly what this team needs to do moving forward. I mean, that it comes out of Izzo's mouth a lot. You know, this team doesn't have a ton of bullets in the gun in terms of just guys who are going to be able to break you down or kill you with three-point shots in the half court. I mean, we might just kind of have to live with that now as people who observe the team. So defending and getting those points in transition is going to be important for this team, I think. But, you know, you can never count out Tom Izzo. You know, I'm sure he's going to pull a few upsets out of the bag the rest of the season. You know, you think you look at the schedule, you, they have another date with Nebraska. They have a couple dates with Penn State that they could win. Maybe someone like Indiana that could end up being a game in the win column for this team. But I truly believe that this is all going to start on just mucking it up on the defensive end of the floor and getting out and running in transition. Because I don't know if this team really has those guys that are just going to take over in a half-court game. Well, you talk about and they also get to go back to Purdue and Mackey Arena, which has been non unkind to them, but without fans, it's not quite the same animal. But, I mean, but they also have Iowa twice, Michigan twice, who looks scary as hell. I mean, what they have worth, I think I saw it on the dock. We're going to talk about them a little bit later, but damn. I mean, they look like head and shoulders, maybe the best team in the Big Ten. Now, we said at the nature of this conference, they're going to slip up. It's inevitable. But right now, whew, you don't want to get in their way. And it's probably lucky for Michigan State that they don't play them until, I think, the first weekend in February. Yeah, so February. it's almost – it's about three and a half, four weeks away still from those two's first meeting of the year. But, shit. I mean, Michigan – I mean, two games with Michigan, it's not what anybody needs right now. No. Nobody. You know, looking forward, you know, we did, we were going to preview an Iowa game on this document. You know, we wrote it down so we can read a couple of these bullet points, but they were slated to play the Hawkeyes who sit at 11 and two overall with just losses to Gonzaga and Rutgers, you know, a, a Rutgers, a team that Michigan state beat. And I was going to hit on this point in the last segment, Michigan state didn't make a lot of big shots against Rutgers, but they still out rebounded got more points in transition and, and outran Rutgers, and we're still able to come up with a win without having that one explosive guy. So I think if there's a hope for Michigan State team fans the rest of the year, it's that blueprint that they won the Rutgers game with. But, you know, a quick one right here about Iowa, just so we can say something about the Hawkeyes. Luca Garza, preseason player of the year for number five Iowa, 27.6 points per game and 8.6 rebounds. How far ahead of the field is Garza for the Big Ten Player of the Year award right now? I mean, you know, Marcus Carr, he's had a nice year for Minnesota. Io DeSumo, heck of a player for Illinois. Those are some guys that could be in the conversation. I'll toss it to you first, Brendan, but is it Garza and the world for this award? Yeah, it's it's Garza versus the field. I mean, there's don't get me wrong, there are a lot of great players in the Big Ten. We mentioned Ron Harper Jr., who – who has been scoring at a great clip the past couple games. Uh, Io DeSumo is one of my favorite players in the league. Hunter Dickinson is stepping out as yeah. one of the best bigs in the country, not just in the Big Ten. Um, and there's there's really a lot of great players. Demetri Trice, I've been really impressed with him, the way he's played for the Badgers the past couple of days. That obviously uh, disregard the last game against the Wolverines. He still even had 20 in that game. 
But hey, Ron Harper he, Jr. Maybe too, if you want to throw in another name in. And he and none of them are still even close to putting up the numbers and in the fashion that Garza is. It's just he's so big, and he's he's not Garza is not a fast player. He's not quick, but for his size, he can move. And Iowa likes to run the floor. He gets down there, body checks someone into a position that he wants, and it's an easy layup. And you know, it, it works a lot to get him 30 points per game. And it's, that's really hard to, to see that and vote for somebody else. So I think it is uh, pretty much Garza versus everyone. I agree that Garza is the front runner, but you glossed over Hunter, Dick, Hunter Dickerson in Ann Arbor. I mean, that dude is smooth. And he's bigger than Garza, too, which not many people can say that. I mean – where did he even come from? I mean, you get like it's crazy. I think he's like, a New Jersey product, was, if I believe. He was a, like a four-star recruit or something, and Michigan fans were excited about him. But yeah, but I'm not even sure he was really yeah, on anyone's radar. Coming, no, Michigan. No. Michigan was going to get Isaiah Todd, number thirteen overall player in America, in a big like seven-four wingspan center, and Dickinson was going to take the back seat. But Todd goes to the G League. <laughs> I think Michigan fans should feel pretty fortunate that they got Dickinson. I mean, it worked out. Well, yeah. Michigan fans have to be just, you know, eating this up right now. Not only are they playing like the best team in the country right now, they have the number one recruiting class coming next year as of right now. That can change, obviously, and there's a lot of time. Also, there was a lot of rumors that Josh Christopher, who was over at Arizona State, was going to come to Michigan. Isaiah Todd was supposed to come to Michigan. He didn't. Imagine how good this team is if they got those two recruits. And they have Hunter Dickinson coming off the bench and Wagner and Livers playing like they are. I mean, they're just – that's a scary roster. Right well, now. you know, I just – I can't wait for, for Dickinson and Garza to match up. I just – I think that – I don't think that that should be – I don't think – Luca Garza, to me, to answer your question, Sloan, is the front runner for Big Ten Player of the Year. But I do not think it is a foregone conclusion yeah. at all. Like, I, mean, I think that the – go ahead, Eric. You can finish. I was just going to say that Michigan right now, I mean, the rest of the league beating up on each other. Michigan could have damn near a two- to three-game lead we get to Febu- before we even get to February. You know? So, I mean – it, this the people talk about the strength of the Big Ten from top to bottom. If the rest of the league doesn't shape up and get on Michigan's level, this thing could be over with two weeks to go in conference play. You know, you know, Eric, I agree, and and kind of putting a big stamp on the Big Ten. Like, if I think of you know what is the hallmark of this conference at this point, and talking about Garza. I think it's these big post players, these centers. I mean, you think of a Miles Johnson for Rutgers. You think of Dickinson. You think of Kofi Coburn. You think of Liam Robbins at Minnesota. You think of, obviously, Luca Garza. You Travion think of Williams, Nate, too, yeah, Nate Reavers, Travion Williams, EJ Liddell. I mean, there's a lot of elite post players in this conference. Even a Daryl Morsell at, at, at Maryland. I think he's a post player now for them. Yeah, totally. But Wolf good last year. Yeah, it's that Maryland team is kind of weird how they have the bits and pieces of last year's team that are trying to throw it together. But we'll talk about them when the time comes. As long as Mark Turgeon is their coach, they will not go nearly as far as they should. John Beeline to Maryland. 
I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Awesome. We usually, we usually finish this one up and finish this segment up with score predictions. Obviously not going to be any for the Iowa game. Hopefully we're back to those for the Indiana game on Sunday. Um, like I said, follow at WDBM Sports on Twitter, impact89fm.org slash sports for the latest updates, as, you know, as well as all of us on Twitter getting those updates to you. But we'll roll right into the traditional last segment of the Impact Is Own podcast. Eric will be a first-time participant in this segment, but it is the four-point play with Brendan Shabath. Uh, you know, this isn't just a Michigan State basketball podcast. It's a Big Ten basketball podcast and a college basketball podcast. So, Brendan, I'll throw it over to you, but these are the four games that stood out to you in the last week or so. Yes, I'm very excited to be doing my four-point play segment as in front of me. I'm watching two of my favorite teams and favorite coaches. Uh, big game tonight. Started at 9 p.m. Red Raiders of Texas Tech travel to the Texas Longhorns. They're playing right now. Texas is up by seven. Uh, Shaka Smart, Chris Beard, two great coaches. However, given that this podcast will come out after this game is over, that is not one of the games I have chosen for tonight. But um, I want to start this off with a disclaimer. A game I mentioned last week was Loyola Chicago versus Drake. Two MVC teams were supposed to go at it. Now, one, I did not realize, um, and this is just me being the lazy sports fan that I am, that the college football national championship was going to be on Monday night. So if you were looking forward to that Loyola Chicago and Drake game, uh, you would have only been able to watch an hour of it. That started at 7 p.m. The national championship was at 8 p.m. Roll um, Tide. What, what's, it, what's that? I said Roll Tide. Roll Tide. That was a, it was a really good game in the first half, and then, you know, the expected kind of happened. But, um, yeah, and uh, it turns out Drake had some COVID issues. Uh, still undefeated right now are the Bulldogs, so love the Drake. But uh, well, that game has been postponed and will be moved to a later date. But, guys, we already talked about the Wolverines and how good they look. That's my first game to review from last week. It was actually a day ago. But, my God, we've, we've heard the stat every, you know, so many times now after the game against Wisconsin, the 77-54 to 54 win. Michigan, the first college basketball team in history with three straight wins versus ranked opponents and wins by 19 points or more. I mean, that's just an absurd stat, you know. A lot of people didn't think Michigan was for real. I was one of those people. I thought they played a cupcake schedule. They struggled against some teams they probably shouldn't have, but boy, do they look good right now. Michigan had four starters and double figures in that game. Wagner finished with 15 and 10. Michigan's got the sixth best offense and 10th defense in the nation. That's good enough for second offense in the Big Ten and first defense uh, in the Big Ten right now. The Wolverines just look unstoppable, and they really are are playing like the best team in the nation at this point. I'm going to jump in real quick here first. You know, people, Wagner, Dickinson, Livers, they really get the attention. But my favorite player on this Michigan team is Shondi Brown. I Love Sean D. Brown. And I think you really need to give credit to Jawan Howard and the coaching job that he's doing for putting players in good positions to succeed. You know, he could have put Sean D. Brown in the starting lineup, but that starting lineup he's rolling with is having a lot of success. And him putting Brown on the bench has really – Brown is a spark plug for that team. He'll come in off the bench, provide energy, knock down threes. He's a player that any team in America would want on their team. He's an attitude guy. I'm a big Shawnee Brown guy. I think he, I thought he was going to be a starter for them, but the way that Jawan Howard utilizes him is 
I think, perfect. Yeah, we talked about Dickinson earlier, but, I mean, two guys that kind of have, you know, set the table for the whole team is our livers and, and Wagner. And I very much enjoy Franz Wagner much better than Mo Wagner. Franz is much more easy to take. He's just a regular person as opposed to whatever Mo Wagner is. Um, he's had a more fun game to watch too. Yeah, yeah, and he's just less obnoxious as a person. And probably, when it's all said and done, a better player. Um, but, I mean, those are the guys. And those are – that speaks to Jawan Howard. You know, so many people questioned, is Jawan going to be the guy for player development? He's just the, the rah-rah recruiter. Is he going to be able to develop people? I think that Michigan's performance the last three games has put those questions to bed. Yeah, you know, a lot of this roster is still um, some remnants of B, of the B-line era. But, you know, Howard's got a season under him. Uh, he's, he's, you know, for whatever you want to say about recruiting, you need a coach who can recruit. He got Mike Smith to come from Columbia. He had one of the best, one of the better recruiting classes prior to Isaiah Todd's departure last season. He's got the number one coming in next year so far. You know, I mean, Juwan Howard at this point has really done everything right for Michigan other than go undefeated last season, which, you know, was never going to happen. And it's not, I've been saying it over and over again with Michigan. It's the big 10. And for me, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, but with every passing day, that when looks way farther down the road than I previously thought. So we'll see who's going to, who's going to get the best of Michigan. Eric, bad news for you. You said you wanted to see that Garza and Dickinson matchup. That's not actually going to happen until March 4th, three days before the Wolverines take on the Spartans. And the they final. only play once this year. I didn't look at the schedule. But that's a, that's um, a crime that they only play once. We is it, is it at Iowa city or at Michigan? Uh, it, is at Michigan. It'll be at Chrysler. So that'll be March 4th. And uh, I, because we have four point play and because I love college basketball as much as I do, I made the investment into Ken Palm. Now I know people are skeptical of the analytics and obviously analytics don't always ring true, but I think during the regular season, uh, the underlying numbers tend to prove themselves right it's a $20 subscription for a whole year. You get a lot more information with the subscription. And this is one of the things I found interesting. Ken Palm has an algorithm that shows you the most frequent lineups a team uses by percentage. The third most used lineup for Michigan at 4.3% is their garbage time lineup. Zeb Jackson, Jace Howard, Adrian Nunez, Terrence Williams, and Jaron Falls. That just shows you how bad they're beating these teams. I mean, they're whooping up on the big 10 right now, you know, teams that beat Michigan state, Minnesota, Northwestern, Wisconsin, they are embarrassing them. I mean, I feel like we're going on and on and on, but you know, Michigan is deserving the credit they're getting right now. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you move on to the next one, but I could talk about this Michigan team forever. I mean, on the, in the post, on the wing, the, the ball handlers they have, they're deep, they're talented. They have leadership. Everyone can score the basketball, and Juwan Howard's done a fantastic job coaching this year. I mean, there's a lot of things you can praise about that team. So you listening at home, if there's one thing you get from this segment today, Michigan, really good. Um, I'm a big fan of ACC basketball, guys. This year, the ACC is really interesting. There's a lot of teams battling at the top. Duke's 
strange. Louisville is not their typical self. Virginia struggled to start the season, but they're 4-0 in conference play right now. Clemson's come out of nowhere. Uh, so Virginia Tech, though, I've been really impressed by them from what I've seen, especially since ACC play. They got a big win versus Duke last night, too. They win at home 74-67. to uh, Tyrese Radford, 18-12-5. and uh, you know, Virginia Tech looks really good, and right now they've got the fourth-best offense in the ACC. I think that's a team to watch out for. You know, slip into the Sweet 16, maybe the Elite Eight here. Who's their coach? I actually is one of the, one know, of the coaches I don't know. I can picture his face, but I don't remember his I name. Just, I keep saying to myself it's, that it's Buzz, but it's not Buzz. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Eric, that my one point on this game was going to be Buzz Williams. Ha, ha, ha. You yes. leave for Texas A&M, the SEC. It means more in the South, apparently. Well, I'm not in hoops, it doesn't. Nope. Virginia Tech is doing just fine without you, Buzz. So. It, is, it is Mike Young, head coach of Virginia Tech, the Hokies. Mike Young. I love that, that arena they play in, too, is sick. It looks like a castle. Really? They call it the Blacksburg. Castle. Blacksburg's a great town. Also, credit their media team. They had some pretty cool trash talk uh, against Duke after they won. It was like an Air Jordan with, like, blue blood splatter all over it. It was stomping. It was kind of cool, though. You know, Duke's the blue blood, and they they whooped up on him and and gave him a real good win. So I uh, I kind of appreciated that, the banter. Um, Moving forward to next week's games, uh, staying in the same state, uh, January 16th, number 18, Virginia, who is first in the ACC right now, takes on a really good Clemson team that I've been really impressed by. A uh, lot of ACC implications here that could come into factor uh, later on in the year. Clemson, 3-1 and one, uh, in the ACC right now. That's good enough for fourth. They're 9-1 and one overall. Their only loss was to the Hokies, who we just mentioned uh, in a close game earlier this season. Uh, Virginia, obviously, they're eight and two overall. They were pummeled by Gonzaga earlier this season. They had a bad loss to San Francisco, and they were even pushed to overtime against the Kent State Golden Flashes. But since uh, since ACC play, they've looked really good. They're up to four and zero, and you know they're trending in the right direction. The Cavaliers are, and they were a team who was ranked really high. I think they were eight to start the season. You know, and maybe they've turned things around. They had some COVID issues. Obviously, they didn't get to play the Spartans due to some COVID issues, but uh, the Cavaliers, you know, keep an eye out on them. They're they're they have a chance to pull away in what is a really tight ACC race right now. Still the defending national champions. That is true. With no uh, tournament last season. I don't claim to know much about Clemson basketball, but you want to talk about arenas? Little John Coliseum. That is a hell of a name for a basketball arena. That's where Clemson plays. So I like them for that reason. But then another interesting thing. You know, Michigan State, they almost got Sam and Joey Hauser. Sam is, of course, at Virginia right now, still the reigning national champs, which is funny because Michigan State played in that Final Four that Virginia notably yeah. won. So you can say that Michigan State's coming off a, you know, quarter or a semifinal appearance, which is also wild. But Sam Hauser, he could score the basketball. Maybe Michigan State could use that a little bit right now. What a beautiful segue we have here, too. We start with Virginia Tech. The next game is Virginia, the defending national champions. Who did they beat? The Texas Tech Raiders, who is our next game to look at on wow. the 18th. Actually, no, I said that wrong. That's a game to watch out for, though. The Texas Tech Raiders and I believe West Virginia 
play each Press other. Virginia. Press Virginia. Okay. West Virginia basketball, tougher than a long weekend at your in-laws. Eric, you Huggy went, Bear. Love you that man. Here. You weren't here, I believe, it was it last week or two? I think it was two episodes ago when I gave my hot take of the season. Uh, Big 12 basketball is a better league than the Big 10 this year. Um, I'm, a oh, huge, God. I'm a huge Big 12. I'm telling you, just look at the top. Yeah. You got Kansas, you got Baylor, you got Texas, you got Texas Tech, who is still defending national runner-up. Uh, out on Kansas. As we just mentioned. That's Yeah, Kansas is one thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, they play Baylor 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern on ESPN on the 18th. Um, they're number six right now. That game is on a Monday. So likely by 9 p.m. they will have slipped. They just lost to Oklahoma State last night. Oklahoma State, too, they're seven points away from being undefeated in a top 10 team in the country. They've got one of the best players, obviously, in Kate Cunningham. But they have just three losses by a total of seven points to some good teams, too. Um, so I'm not totally out on Oklahoma State yet. I think, you know, they had the postseason ban, so there's less incentive to watch them this year. Um, the self-imposed postseason ban, I should say. But, you know, Kansas pummeled by Texas at home. They still pass the eye test to me right now. I'm not totally out. They've got the ninth best defense in the country. Um, but I think this is a game that just for March implications, uh, any – Dedicated college basketball fans should watch. I haven't seen enough of Baylor yet, who's number two in the country with just a swallowing defense, third best defense in the country, fourth best offense. Fingers crossed, guys. Big 12 has had trouble, especially Baylor. They've had really poor luck with COVID this year. Fingers crossed that this game actually happens and we get to see some good basketball. So hopefully um, I expect Baylor to come out of that one, but yeah, a lot of good games last week, a lot of good games to look forward to. We're getting right towards February to the thick of it where things start to matter for March more. You know, I'm really excited for March. This hasn't been, you know, the greatest season we've ever had, obviously, with no fans and COVID and stuff like that. But nonetheless, March is just a few days away. All right. You know, putting the, putting the cherry on top of this one. Yes. Eric, one Impact Is Own episode is now under your belt how do you think? How do we do things over here? We're open to suggestions. I got to say, anything. I got to say, you guys are more organized than we are in the SRZ on the on the Spartan Red Zone, the, the football podcast. That's probably because we're hosted by our good friend Ryan Collins, and you know we we always have a doc and we have our talking points out there, but we don't quite stick to it as well as you guys do. And we also have a pretty intense pick'em competition at the end, so it, it's a a little bit different because of the nature of the sport that that podcast is about. I I think this might be the longest, at least this season, I think it is the longest impact is on podcast we've had. So I guess maybe does that make up for it for you not being here ever before that you got a little extra time than the, than the regulars. I had to spend extra time here (laughs) and some extra time in the impact is on spotlight. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for, man. You can follow Eric Bach on Twitter at Eric Bach. You can follow myself on Twitter at Luke Sloan underscore seven. And Brendan, if my memory serves me correctly, it's B Shabath three. There you go. Solid. Yeah, except he got, he got the guest Twitter wrong. It's at Ebach two one on Twitter. Oh, wow. I could have swore. I was thinking, I'm like, I'm typing you into the impact sports Twitter every now and again. I'm thinking it's definitely E 
And then I was like, Eric or just Ebach? I've got that one wrong. Two for three, not too bad, though. Passing grade. If one of them is yourself, does that really count? I would hope you got that one right. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's like writing your name down on the test before you take the test (laughs) to, to make sure that you actually get a grade. That's that's how you get ten points on the ACT or whatever it is. That's right. Any any final points? Final wrap up points before we call this episode a close. Shout out to my roommate Scott Toner lives in Madawan on Lake Madawan. I got to play some pond hockey tonight, boys. Very excited for that. Hey, make sure that ice is thick enough. The, yeah, we don't want. Yeah, yeah, forty degrees today, man. I'm sinking to the bottom. Well, he he texted us last night saying, "Okay, you guys can come now. The lake's frozen." And then it was a little warmer today. It was a little Yikes. scary there by the end because we had chopped it up real good. But everybody made it home safe and nobody got soaked. So, Madawan, that's that's in my neck of the woods over there on yeah, the west side. Yeah. Nice, nice little town. Beautiful home. Beautiful lake. It was a great time. Well, if you're a college basketball junkie, you have made it this far for Big Ten hoops, Spartan hoops, and more. You know, here's to hoping that Michigan State will have an opponent and have a game against Indiana this upcoming Sunday. You know, as always, uh, at WDBM Sports on Twitter, impact89fm.org slash sports for more men's basketball coverage from MSU Student Radio. But this was Episode 7 of Impact Is Own. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, apparently now. So really, anywhere you get your podcasts for Episode 8. We're on Amazon now? Yes, Jeremy told me. Not long ago, Eric, Jeremy mentioned something quietly. He was like, Amazon, we're not on Amazon now. So when we say Damn. you can find us anywhere, you can truly find us anywhere now. Good for us. But you can find us back. What were you going to say, Brandon? So this is how we do things here at Impact. We're, we're up to date with it, the newest and greatest. Shit. Well, you can find us anywhere you find your podcasts, and you can find us back in action the next time Michigan State is in action. Once again, thanks, Eric, for hopping on the episode today. But that will be it for Episode 7. We will see you next time on Impact Is Own.